Welcome to another edition of Tales from the East Stand, sponsored by the ever delicious Peach Tree East, who hosts comedy nights now. They've music on Saturdays by Mick Keeley belting out the chance. And kids now eat free on a Sunday, so get the nippers down, they leave for nothing. And there's loads more info on their Facebook page. So mention Tales from the East Stands when you arrive, you might get a little treat and make sure you try the beef shake. How about that beef shake, Carl? <laughs> so episode 27. And we've talked about Shelbourne, the FAI Cup last week. Cork tomorrow. We've got an interview with Owen Rice and questions from the East End, but not one, not two, but three players this week Simon Madden, Dean Dillon, and Aaron Bulger. So I am Gary Parsons, and alongside the prof, the stat master, flash, the funk master, stat, Carl Riley. <laughs> Still no nickname for me. This is quite the intro. Yeah. Um, 26 shows, and you've no nickname. Yeah, I mean, usually someone, someone calls me, oh, you and the bushes, but I don't think that counts. <laughs> so we're going to talk about going back to Talca Park. <coughs> Uh, mixed feelings, Carl. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people are saying. Mixed emotions going back there. Good times, bad times. I mean, some say a kip, which it is now. I mean, some say a nostalgic <coughs> throwback and trips to days gone by. And was John Connolly there with the van? Did you see him? I didn't see him with the with the the van, the the t shirts, the hats. No, we didn't go that far. Yeah, so shells are in bits, really, are they? Yeah, although if you saw on the news, their debts have been cleared. Yeah, I wonder who that was. I mean, was that just a general? Like, not accumulation, but year by year of gradually clearing them off, or was it a lump sum? I think I said their creditors just eventually let go. They realized <laughs> they got fed up. They weren't going to get their money back. So. I'll take that into uh, consideration. Yeah, but I certainly I wouldn't like to see shells die now. No, I mean there's a lot of history and rivalry there. I mean I'd like them to come back eventually. I understand the sort of resentment against them in the mid nineties. They did everything to chase that Champions League dream. And, you know, spent money they didn't have. So I get that, but I, I don't want them to die. I mean, realistically, do we want our rivals to suffer? Yes. But do we want them to go out of existence? No, I don't think so. It's bad for the league. It looks terrible. And, I mean, I mean, we're all desperate for the domestic game to improve in every aspect. Well, I am anyway. I know you are. Listeners could be could have mixed feelings on it, but you want it. Ideally, you'd love the game to have 10,000 each week and good facilities people following it actively that's what you want and I don't think Shell's dying a slow death will help it anyway so I think they've been in the fourth division for long enough I think they might be there for a little bit longer but it'd be good to see them back in the in the Premier Division in the balls situation just languishing mid-table that'll do get three wins against me each season yeah so a lick of paint would help with Talca wouldn't it yeah that was potentially our last ever trip to Talca uh a lot of pictures went up on Facebook of its uh, dilapidated state. Yeah, it wasn't. It was in bits, wasn't it? The stadium of the future, as Louis Kilcoyne once called it. Yeah, Louis Kilcoyne said a lot of things, didn't he? Prick. <laughs> <laughs> so if Tal, I mean, if Tal was if Tal was that bad and it really fell into disrepair, I mean, I'd roll up the sleeves and get involved. I think that, I think there'd be a lot of hoops willing to offer their services. So, well, the interesting question was asked. 
would Milltown have been let uh, deteriorate that way? If it was in our own hands, isn't the fans? No, definitely not. There's a lot of tradesmen, there's a lot of people with money, there's a lot of interested hoops. Like, I mean, you've got the 400 club, so that, those people alone who already go out of their way to help Rovers, mm-hmm. they're definitely going to be the first ones in, in line to help out and do whatever was needed to be done. So, um, yeah, no, I don't think Milltown would, would have gone that way at all. So what do we have? We had uh, nearly 1,750 fans there, about 1,000 of them hoops in a packed Riverside. <clears throat> Yeah, the Riverside with those bleeding poles in your yeah. way everywhere. Oh, I can't stand those. I mean, you have them in the in Shakur. You have them when you stand in a stand in Shakur. There's a couple of more places. Um, yeah, Dan Fulham was on his laptop in the crowd sitting down as well. So, especially not a good view from there. Uh, no, I don't think there's any flights to book there. No. I saw some people saying as well that the pitch looked really dark from that end. And, of course, floodlights have always been a problem in Talca. Yep. Uh, I was actually in the home end. For this game. I saw Maloney in there as well. The veiling of the Talca Bar facilities. Oh, I'd say he wasn't alone. No surprise there. Certainly wasn't alone. It was actually cool to watch the Rawers fans from the outside. Just for a change. Yeah, looking out was impressive, yeah? Yeah. And uh, the Gary Shaw chant. That was probably the most impressive. Most loudest. Most in unison. Yeah, look, I said to you before. I heard that from the train station in Dundalk. I yeah. missed the couple of, first couple of minutes out in Oriel there recently. Although um, for, the, for the second half, I was actually up in the press box. And up there, oh, fancy pants. Yeah, that's me. You can't actually see the fans from the angle, so I could just hear the cheers of the three goals. You can't even see the fans and from I the press box. No, you can't. They're just cut off from view. Um, yeah, so uh, the game fell on the sixth anniversary of that epic night in Belgrade, and there were a couple of birthdays as well. Desi Baker and John Cody, and good old Desi, future guests, hopefully. I reckon he'd be good crack at Multi Madness. A couple of gargles into him and DJ Desi as Pajo Flynn says he was the main man for the 90s channels in the dressing room under the Michael O'Neill reign uh, what else we got there was a minute's applause for Ollie Bourne who passed away 10 years ago this last week so love him or hate him I mean you have to admire what he done for Shells in a way to a certain extent I mean he did put them in major financial debt but he he did. He was on. I mean, was he in pursuit of something else? Was he in pursuit of maybe a financial gain, or did he genuinely want shells? He certainly to prosper. Fought, it's he certainly fought their corner at every yeah. possible opportunity, and he was he was a character. I give him that. Yeah, definitely was. So that was his anniversary last week. Ten years passed on. Uh, Brads are picked the same team again with Webby staying at right back because Simon Madden was suspended. So two games in a row now that he's missed. First time in a long time. Just move on, girl. Sam Bone finally got his protective mask. He was on the bench, looking like something out of an 80s horror film. <laughs> Scaring all the kids. So the first half, really, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, it was a pretty poor first half from us. Uh, only forced their keeper into about one save, I think. Nothing happened at all, really. Uh, somehow, Soccer Republic pulled out two clips from that first half. I don't know where they found them. Yeah, one of them was a Pico, Pico uh, shot from... It wide wasn't it yeah that's all like that. it really was yeah I saw a Rovers fan on Twitter at half time have a meltdown and there's plenty of them I mean, I mean it was just like Bradley doesn't know what he's doing where are we going everything's gone to hell seats and talent are different colours yeah <laughs> and then 45 minutes later oh professional performance good yeah, job that'll do yeah Shoot the next round the next round yeah <laughs> so um, Brando got a goal first name on the score she very neat finish that's what Brandon needs to be for me. I think in the round, the edge of the box, prowling, waiting for scraps like a hyena. Watch him go on a run now. 
you'll score you'll score four goals in the next seven eight games. Yeah, that's and that's the most frustrating thing about it. I mean, he'd be ineffective for maybe three or four weeks in a row, and then he'd go on and score four or five in, in, in maybe three games. You know, so he's I think he's most effective to the middle. But here's the dilemma: Do you drop Borky and put him in there? Do you shuffle it around to accommodate players? I wouldn't be a big fan of just accommodating players purely for the sake of having them in the team. I think play them in their best position and. Brando, he does a job out wide most of the time, but I honestly think his best is the number ten. So that means, I mean, can you play two number tens, like some old school formations, and have Shazi still up front, and then sacrifice your near natural wingers and have three midfielders? It's it it could, it could go either way. But listen, what do you think? Would you drop him? No, he's too valuable, isn't he? I wouldn't drop Burke. I think he's too important. But uh, certainly Connolly in recent form. I'm not sure if he's worth his place in the team, but certainly not out wide anyway. But we'll talk about uh, Bork took his goal very well. Yeah, it was a brilliant run by Clark down the left. He was looking very dangerous again yeah, from, from left back. Really was, wasn't he? And uh, he found Burke in the box. Burke smashed it with his left foot. So good Lovely goal finish, there. Yeah. I uh, mean, we have some serious talent on our hands here. I mean, I know it's only a, a weak shells team, but there's so much attack and flair. Looks at Trev, Borky Brando, Finner, and the Skill Street soldier, James Dunne. And he was on the score sheet as well. Uh, yeah, just before doing his goal, uh, Shells had hit the bar, and the rebound came off Finn's hand. Which oh, sorry, I think Shazzy hit the bar. I think it yeah. knocked off his head. You couldn't have argued if the ref gave a penalty. I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was a, a penalty. Got away with it. The doing a goal was uh, good work by Webster. Webster's making a case for himself about why he's an assist, he, and he's doing well now. He had a very good game actually. <laughs> Obviously, he won't play there again for the rest of the season. But I mean, he had a very good game. It was his cross. Took a deflection, landed the dune, and he buried it. Uh, so I thought it was a really neat finish, really, really good finish. Yeah, it was. From I mean, a bouncing ball, tough enough to keep it down, and and uh, young dune. Is he officially a super soap, Carl? I think so. And is that a term you would be happy with yourself? Well, I suppose it worked for Sulks, Jared, but... Yeah, I mean, do you want to get yourself into that mode and say, okay, well, um, and let the manager think, oh, he's good when I spring him from the bench, maybe not so when he starts. I, I think Duna wants to start, the young guy. Funny enough, when I interviewed Brazza afterwards, he said I, he thought Duna had a poor game. But he was only on 20 minutes. When so he came on? It's kind of harsh, really. Really? He well, said now that he scored, he'll never hit the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the But, but uh, yeah... The, I think the goal from class was pretty apparent yeah, big in the time. second half. We played some nice stuff, I thought. Uh, Graham Burke ran the show. He'd be my man in the match now. Uh, I was just behind Simon Madden, actually. As I said, I was in the press box. But I remained professional. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I'm not sure he has any ideas about this feud you have going, actually. I'm sure he would have had a witty retort anyway. Yeah, Maybe Luke and Shazzy have told him, but yeah. I'm not sure he has any idea about my rage. But... Uh, yeah, Burke had a great moment of skill. In the second half, he just sort of flicked, flicked the ball, and I think he nutmegged someone. And the reaction from the players was, was priceless. Sean Boyd was like, Ah, they know. They, they were just know. shaking their heads. They know what he's They able. were really impressed by that. He's well able for this. Then we have uh, the, one of the talking points now, the Finn red card. Was it harsh? I mean, I don't think he's that sort of guy. What do you think? Yeah, the red card took the shine off it, didn't it? It did, yeah. Um, obviously we don't want to say that about Finn but to be honest if that was another team and I saw that that yellow card I would have said yeah dive. that's a dive yeah straight away and tactical so- falling yeah thankfully in Soccer Republic they had uh, Brian Kerr and Richie Sadnier back and uh, they had a look at it and they thought he anticipated the challenge 
which I think, as you said, is a fancy way of saying diving. Yeah, tactical diving. <laughs> but I think what frustrated people was both yellow cars are really stupid and pointless. See, silly, I hate silly yellows. I really do. And most managers will say that as well. Uh, actually, reminds me of a, a game against Shells in Tallaght. Remember, we won 4 0. Uh, their keeper was sent off very early on. Skinner. Uh, oh, that's why they had the crazy Good old goal. Skinner. Yeah, we Completely, were. Win- yeah, I think it was a pass back and it was misjudged. Yeah, let me remember. We were winning 4 0 that game, and McCabe was sent off for diving as well at 4 0 late in the game. Why even take the chance? There you go. I mean, you're, you're winning. You know what I mean? Don't bother trying to win a free kick where just because you're 4 0 up. Silly stuff. So, uh, Cork or Bluebell, which one is Finn are going to miss? It's Bluebell that he misses quarter final, which worked out pretty well for us, I think. Yeah, that he's missing that as not, well, isn't he? That it's not Cork, you know. So that's Fatty and Finn are missing for the Bluebell game, and we have a full strength, pretty much full strength squad against Cork. So, big one, big one on Friday. Um, now we're going to move on to probably the most important part of Friday is Bradzer's beard. He's past the scruffy stage now. Seems to have trimmed it and styled it, looking very hipster. Yeah, we'll we'll continue to provide updates on Twitter. Brazzers beer hashtag Brazzers beard. I mean, he'll be drinking double espresso pale ales now, <laughs> and using the tor- Nokia thirty three ten, playing snake on the bench trying to beat his top score. <laughs> <laughs> so hipster. Um, up next, now we have an interview with Who's fan and author Owen Rice. I'm here with Owen Rice. So Owen, we're going to start with Friday's game against Shelburne and Talca Park. What did you make of it? Yeah, I thought it was a convincing win in the end. I mean, 3 nil. it probably should have been 5 or 6, really. I think once once the first goal went in, that, you know, that was it. There was a bit of nervousness uh, until that first goal went in. It was a typical sort of big team against little team type thing. You know, they defended well, but once the first goal went in, it was, it was all over, really. It was a strange feeling being back in Tolka, though, I think. Um, I think everyone found it a, a little bit odd, you know. It's kind of... Um, being back in Tolka is a bit like visiting your old school, you know. You're not quite sure... Are, are you nostalgic you know do I like this place do I hate this place you know it was I think everyone most Rovers fans I think have really mixed emotions about Talca Park in general you know there were a lot of years spent there and obviously some good memories but by and large you know not not a, not a time anyone really looks back on with any huge fondness and obviously the place is in a pretty bad state now as is as is Shells themselves you know so yeah strange night I think strange night being there so what's your own feelings in Talca Park? Do you have mostly positive or mostly negative or a bit of both? Yeah, it's funny. Like, I don't really look back on Talca with much affinity, you know. Like, uh, I still like Richmond, for example, you know. Um, we played there for a couple of years. I suppose we had a good season there. It was 2003, maybe. But, um, like, even though my formative years as a Rovers fan were in Talca, you know, and maybe that's why I don't like the place, I don't know. But um, it's kind of like we moved in there when I was, what, 15 and then stayed there on and off until I was about, what, 26 or 27 or something like that. So, you know, there was a long period there and very good memories and stuff like that in some level. But um, it was a strange time for the club. I mean, I think the, the most positive sort of memory you'd have at Tolka would be just that sense of camaraderie around the club, I think. You know, because, you know, there were about, what, a thousand of us at every game and we'd all be huddled into that little stand. And, you know, we were the club was in such a bad way that... You know, every goal was massive. You know, like uh, I remember some goals in there. I think one in particular. I remember. Uh, I think Cousins got an equaliser against Finn Harps, and 
like jeez it was like uh, the celebrations were like Bucharest when Ceausescu fell you know it was just the place went bananas you know and uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of good memories like that and I suppose you look back on it as that time of your life as well like you're you know you're in your late teens and I suppose you're moving from that period of getting crisps and coke to half time to sneaking cans in past the stewards you know so you know that's probably what I remember most about shells or sorry about talk is just that time of your life you know and and you're beginning to go to away games and things like that and um but then I suppose it's also you know it's kind of the good time the good the good parts of that time of your life or you know the sort of increased bit of freedom and all that kind of stuff but then I suppose it's also the bad times of that time of your life as well isn't it like Tolka you look back on it at a time of sort of humiliation frustration and ultimately just wanting to move out you know so uh, yeah a lot of mixed emotions about Tolka I think generally Did you sense a certain amount of uh, satisfaction amongst your fans that we kind of turned the tables on our old landlord's shells there? Oh yeah massively I mean it's probably hard for you know fans in the in the sort of the Tala era to kind of think about how big shells were in the 90s you know they were like it's like playing probably Corker and Talk now you know I mean they were the big team and if you got anything over them like if you got a draw if you got a win like that was huge you know um, and the added frustration of us being in Tolka was that you know they were spending huge money on their players at the time and we were completely broke and yet we're renting so we're basically funding them winning leagues uh, and that was a huge sense of frustration at the time um, and there was a lot of kind of bitterness I think between the two clubs like there was a, there was a bad relationship I think between Rovers and Shells at the time um, but what's amazing about Shells is, is how quickly they've sort of lost that relevancy and in some ways that's sad you know I mean they're they're a very old club they were at one stage a very big club and in some ways it's kind of sad to see them in the in the situation they're in now I mean they had what 300 at that game on Friday that's their biggest game in probably years you know um, so like on one level it's kind of sad but it's, I suppose it's, it's that kind of conflicting emotions a little bit like Tolka as well like it's it's kind of I don't know, seeing shells in that condition, it's kind of like, you know, hearing about an ex-girlfriend that's down her luck, you know, you kind of, you don't like seeing people struggle, but at the same time, you know, she was a bit of a wagon to you, you know, like it's kind of, you don't, it's it's a, it's, it's a confusing emotion, I think, seeing shells the way they are. On some level, you'd like to see them back up where they were, but on the other hand, you kind of think they deserve to be where they are as well, you know. So we had uh, Mele Burke and uh, Duna on the score sheet, Gary Shaw put in another good shift. Who would be your player of the year so far? very hard to tell I mean I'm a huge fan of Burke um, I think Burke is a fantastic player um, and I really hope you can hold on to him Clark obviously is a f- fantastic player as well I thought he played really well um, possibly between the two of them I do like Shaw as well um, and I think you know maybe maybe the formation doesn't sort of help him get uh, as many goals as maybe you know he'd like to um, but just like you mentioned Duna there like I'm a, I'm a big fan of Duna like I think he's got a lot to offer um, and I'd like to see him get a bit more of a run out in the team um, I think like over the next couple of years he could be a massive player for the club So now the dreaded question about the FAI Cup obviously it's a, a millstone around our neck at this stage so what's your feeling, feelings on it this year? Well I mean the FAI Cup is uh, I mean it's not even a sports competition anymore it's just a competition for other clubs to see who can kick Rovers hardest in the balls every year like it's you know, and they've all had a go at this stage. Uh, it's you know the FA Cup has basically become an annual humiliation for the club over 30 years. Um, I've been following Rovers since what 1990, 
1990, I think it was, and you know, a very few good memories about the FAI Cup, you know. Um, but I think we, you know, we have to have a chance this year. Um, obviously, Cork and Dundalk are the only two that you'd sort of fear in any way. Any, everyone else, you'd have to think we'd be favourites against. And I think we can be Cork and Dundalk in our days, especially Cork are really struggling since Maguire left. Um, Dundalk have had a run of form, in fairness. They're probably favourites for the Cup, um, particularly, I think, given the season they've had, that they're not going to win the league. I think they're desperate to kind of come home with something, you know. Um, but I think we've a good chance this year. I think if we got a good, if we get good draws now in the quarters, you know, then you're into the semis and sure, listen, you know, we might find ourselves in Aviva uh, and and who knows. But it's it'll be a very brave Rovers fan to say we're going to win the cup any year. Uh, you're the third Rovers author that we've had in the show after McDerry Ferris and Robert Goggins. Might track down Charlie Willoughby at some stage if he's still alive. But uh, your book, We Are Rovers, published in 2005. Tell us a little bit about what inspired you and the process behind it. Yeah, well, the Wear Over started in 2003, the idea, and actually the, the where it came from was that there was a game against Bowes in, in Shakur, which ended badly, let's say. Uh, there was a, a lot of uh, trouble outside the ground, and there was buses getting attacked and all this kind of stuff, and... Rovers, of course, were slaughtered in the papers for the next few days, you know, absolutely slaughtered. And, like, I remember just kind of being annoyed that, you know, it's this constant thing of, like, every Rovers fan being portrayed as a complete, you know, savage. And I started milling around this idea in my head about, you know, recording the sort of the actual passion and enthusiasm of Rovers fans as well, like the kind of the good side of Rovers fans. And I remember I put a post up on the forum, um just basically saying I was kind of thinking about doing something like this and then it just sort of grew legs you know and um, I chatted to a few people and yeah ultimately it became a book where I spent the next two years really going around Dublin uh, meeting not just fans but then also lots of former players as well and uh, it was a great it was a great experience like I mean I was what 20 you know 22 23 um and like you're cycling around dublin you're meeting mick leach for a pint then you're going you know you're spending the next day in jerry Mackey's house then you're over at ronnie nolan then you're meeting pat Byrne, like you know and so you're meeting all these absolute legends who you know you don't really get a chance to meet obviously as a as a fan you know um so and then of course you're meeting that's probably through that that process as well i got to know a lot more rovers fans as well um so you know that was great as well just to 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 meet a lot of you know other other fans as well people would still be kind of in touch with and friendly with now you know so it was a great um great process but the the thinking behind that book um i mean i suppose the the football history had been recorded in the uh robert and paul's book which is probably about uh 10 or 12 years uh before my own um, and that book, the hoops, really captured the football side of things. You know, it it it, it charts exactly, you know, the results, the games, the teams. So like, I kind of thought that had been done, uh, and there was no point in sort of trying to redo that because uh, it had been done very very effectively. So what I wanted to do was more about the social history of the club, um, and the stories, even of, you know, the terror stories, the football stories, but also the stories about Dublin as well, because. You know, Rovers is a Dublin institution over 100 years old, and so you can actually, in some ways, tell the history of the city through the club. And I think that was what I was trying to do with it, and hopefully, to to some extent, achieve that. You know, I think if you're when you're talking to fans from the the 40s and the 50s, you know, and they're telling you about you know the bikes and 
cycling to the Irish press to see the match results being put up in the window and stuff like that and then you know, you move into the 60s and you've got Mick Leach coming in and that kind of sense of sort of, you know, teenage rebellion and, you know, a bit of kind of social change in the air. And then you go into the 70s where it just becomes incredibly bleak um, on, on a Rovers level. It was a very bleak decade, but, uh, you know, I wasn't alive, but what the, what people were saying was just society was really bleak and really quite violent uh, was something that really, well, not surprised me, but I think, you know, we were hearing stories from people like John Byrne and, and Martin Moore and Robbie Foy and people like that about just, you know, the violence of the 70s as well, you know. And then, uh, you know, obviously into the, into the 80s and then, you know. So, like, I think Rovers kind of tells the story of the city I- in a kind of a way and that was what I was hoping to get out of the book and I think we hopefully achieved a bit of that. And when it came out in uh, 2005, that was kind of Rovers' lowest ebb, really. It was just after relegation, so... It seemed like everything picked up just after your, your book came out. Yeah, I don't think I was to credit for it now. But um, yeah, I mean, I remember saying to someone a few years ago that when we released that book in 2005, it actually felt a bit like an obituary, to be honest. You know, it kind of felt <coughs> nearly like... Because the club was, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, obviously in danger of, of being wound up completely. And Even the last picture in the book was just a shell of Tata Stadium having been half-built. Yeah, exactly, and that had been nearly 10 years like that at that stage. Um, so it really felt like it was a very uncertain time, and I suppose the fear was that it actually was kind of just the obituary of the club. Um, but thankfully it didn't go that way, obviously. Um, I think we released it in maybe uh, November time, I think it was. It was kind of towards the end of that year anyway. But obviously the previous summer the 400 club had taken over, and you know, obviously things just went from strength to strength in that, that, that regard. And 2006 was a real, like, it was a real relaunch of the club, I think, the 2006 season. Like, obviously, we got we got relegated, which was awful at the time, but probably in retrospect, one of the best things that ever happened to the club. You know, um, like the fear is, is that you'd end up like Shelburne, stuck in that graveyard division. But you know, we got our first time, and actually, I think most people are look back with hugely fond memories of that season as well, because after years of really struggling and fighting relegation, or, or just mid-table obscurity. We were suddenly winning every week. We were top of the table, you know, and and we had this great young team, you know, really just like a great young team that none none of us had ever heard of these lads before, you know. Half of them came from Kilkenny, the other half from Kildare, you know, and you're thinking, what's Scully up to? But it just worked, you know, and, um, you know, of course, it's the Discover Ireland League as well, so, you know, you're going to all these places that you've never been before, and especially back then when... um, to get anywhere outside of Dublin, you had to go through moat. I think that's my, you know, definitive memory of the 2006 season. St- stuck in a traffic jam in moat for about three hours every second Friday, you know. But um, but great season, and uh, and yeah, that that totally relaunched the club. I think it just got got the whole thing back on the back on the road, and then obviously you know we ended up in Tal obviously a few years later, and the rest is history, I suppose. I remember you said on Twitter that uh, Tal time is probably the second best ever Rowers book ever written. Uh, has Robert Coggins ever forgiven you for that? I'm not sure. Well, he hasn't spoken to me since, so maybe maybe that's uh, that's linked, you know. But yeah, Tyler Time, I think was the the uh, it was kind of like the, the natural sequel to We Are Rovers, I suppose, because it was written in the same style and the same sort of ideas, you know, in terms of capturing that uh, that off the field stuff as well and the fan side of things as well. So I think that was a great addition. You actually, if you read the two books side by side, I know it misses out a couple of couple of years in the middle, maybe, but um, but they kind of flow perfectly into each other, which is great. Uh, an interesting part of the book was your interview with uh, Louis Kilcoyne. 
So how did you go about getting Louis to st- sit down with you and what did you make of his side of the story? Yeah, it was interesting meeting Louis. Um, I got a phone number for him. I, ge- I genuinely can't remember where, but I got a number from him and I just decided to ring him and, uh, you know, expecting that he'd tell me to piss off and, you know, and that. But, you know, y- you put in the call, kind of doing the, the journalistic due diligence, you know. Um, but in fairness to him, he was like, yeah, meet you coffee on Saturday. Uh, went down and met him a place on um, just the Packet Street Bridge there um, and spent I don't know, probably an hour, an hour and a half with him or whatever. Um, like, Louis obviously a hugely controversial figure. He's, uh, I suppose on one level, like, he, you know, you'd give him credit for meeting me, telling his side of the story and all that. I know his side of the story isn't something that Rovers fans would put much, uh, you know, credit on. Uh, He's like I suppose that's all you can say about him. He was willing to meet. Uh, the impression I got from him was that himself and his brothers basically bought Rovers because they thought it would be kind of cool to own a football team. Um, they've no backgrounds in the league, really. I don't think they've no background in football. Um, you know, would, pro- would probably be more rugby people, I'd imagine. I, I don't know, but just you know that kind of social level, I suppose. Um, but they bought the club just as a bit of a, a bit of a fun thing to do, um, and obviously when they first bought it, they they nearly wound the thing down completely in the seventies, and then put a lot of money into it. But like his side of the story is basically it wasn't working as business anymore. We needed our money back. Now obviously that's something Rovers people would uh, would argue you know massively against, um, and obviously the way he handled it, the way he did it was despicable, uh, and it any other club in the country would have died uh, as a result of what he did you know it's a, it's a miracle in a lot of ways that we're here and uh, like surviving that period from what 89 to 2009 we came in here I mean that's 20 years of, of like it, it's a miracle the club survived you know so like I definitely wouldn't have any time for Louis or anything like that but I think you give him credit for I suppose being willing to at least meet and I suppose, you know, he knew that the book was not going to favour his side of history, you know. But he still met. I suppose that's probably the only thing you can say in his in his uh, credit or defence or whatever. You also got to meet the Queen of Technicolor herself, Maureen O'Hara. What do you think of her? Yeah, Maureen, that was great. Uh, I actually Maureen was in Dublin uh, doing a book signing in Easons, and uh, I was in work that Saturday. Uh, but I decided to take a long lunch, and I went down to try to to meet her. Um, I couldn't get nearer uh, with the crowds, you know. So I tried Plan B, and I found she'd just released a, a biography, I think it was. So I just went through the publisher and got a phone number for, and uh, I was working in the Sunday Tribune at the time. So of course I told the publisher that I was going to interview her for the paper. Um, now in the end I didn't. I just interviewed her about Rovers for like half an hour or whatever. But that was great talking to her uh, just over the phone. Um, but she was yeah she was one of these people who a totally different era you know and i think that's it's funny i was actually looking back over the book this week for the first time in a long time because it's coming up to the 60th anniversary of the game against the busby babes and i'm i'm helping someone out with a bit of research about that um and when you look through that that those kind of early chapters the chapters that the likes of maureen would have been involved in um the number of people who've died uh, who I interviewed for the book is is incredible. Like a, a lot of the people are are no longer with us, so I think it's great that we managed to sort of get those stories. Because if you were to to now try and write that sort of book, 
there's very very few people from that generation left now you know so I think it was great to to be able to get them and like one of the things I think from interviewing people of that era we really sort of re uh, revived the Paddy uh, Moore story uh, Paddy Moore was someone I didn't really know anything about and I think a lot of Rovers fans probably didn't but just when I was speaking to people of that era this name Paddy Moore keep, kept coming back and and this you know genius player but this like incredible story about a guy just wasted talent um, a guy who had the world at his feet but uh, just had a chronic alcohol problem and, and ended up dying very very young um, and I met Paddy's uh, son uh, Pat and you know he gave me the full family history and so Paddy Moore was actually the only player that got his own chapter in the book um, and I think you know we then ended up giving Paddy Moore a, uh, an award uh, you know through his family at one of the Legends Awards our dinners a few years later and I got, I'm kind of glad that it sort of revived that story of Paddy Moore and kept his story alive because it's an amazing story and as I said most of the people who told me about him are, are all gone now so you know thankfully I suppose we sort of got them in time um, if maybe if I'd done it 10 years earlier I would have got the stories of Saki Glenn and the lads in the 20s but you know unfortunately there was no one no one around no one left by the time I got around to doing it yeah no it's great stuff from all there um, it's good to hear it's, it's good that that book actually got done those interviews got done back then because I mean like time is telling but like Tamari O'Hara and Louis Kilcoyne they would have been interesting enough interviews you know hmm. so it's a it's a great read so definitely um, go out and get it is it still available Carl? Yeah, you can still buy Owen's book. I, I still see it on Soccer Books UK anyway. And I'm well jello about that, I have to say. Well jello yeah. with the Huns. Yeah, because I, I really wanted Teletine to be listed on Soccer Books. Because, you'll get uh, there, Riley, you'll get there. Yeah, because I've been getting their newsletter for about 15 years. And I begged their publisher. I was like, please, I want to be on Soccer Books. <laughs> well, I've seen you in Lucan Library, Carl, so you've made it. Oh, that's, that's all that matters. Actually, yeah, my other dream was to be listed in the National Library of Ireland. And it took nearly a year, but we did get in. And they put me down as contributor. Oh, no, no, no. Have to, have to get on to them about that one. Absolute pricks. <laughs> Carl, the contributor, Riley. So, um, yeah, so if you if you haven't read that book, go out and get it. It's a fantastic read. And to be honest, most of the stuff looks at Talatoin. And you've got the, the history, the Hoops History by Robert Goggins. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's plenty of books out there that are fantastic Robert has great stuff Owen's great stuff there's some really really good Rovers books out there and it gives you a sense of what what it was like to go through those eras and those times that you might not have been around for and like in particular Peter Fitzpatrick who talked last week about the 60s teams some great stuff there so um, Robert's waiting to unleash uh, a new book isn't he yeah just need to win the cup win yeah. the cup and then we'll have another one so so uh, we're gonna. Unfortunately, we don't have Pat Flynn here to read our FAI Cup results this week, so I'll have to do it. So Blue Bell United one, Kevin Seeley nil, Shelbourne nil, Shamrock Rovers three, Bangor Celtic nil, Longford Town one, St Patrick's Athletic nil, Galway two. Pats have now gone out of two cups in two weeks, and they're in a relegation dogfight. Fuck off, junkies. <laughs> Cork City seven, Athlone Town nil. Drogheda 5, Cove Rounders 1, Crumlin United 1, Dundalk 3, Limerick 1, Finharps 0. No balls rats this week. No, thanks Alan Lambert. <laughs> Some notes in those games, our pal Don Cowan 
with the former uh, or with the winner for Longford and Dave O'Connor got the goal for Limerick so former hoops there what was he doing he's our team's box yeah I know Dave yeah, O'Connor he wasn't really rated on the rowers did he get a chance could, could you say he got a chance I think he was pretty much pretty average to be fair wasn't he he wasn't seems like a bit of an organiser that was it you know uh, he had heart we'll say but Don got his chance under O'Neill. A couple of really blatant misses ruined him. I mean, he missed an open goal before. It was a tap-in header. And the course to end in Tala. And I don't know how he did it, but he defended it. All he had to do was tap it in. Hit the back of his head and went away from goal. Was that sporting finger on the cup, was it? No, that, that's the one I'm going to be able to talk to now. Oh, he had a one-on-one. Really bad miss. Finger on the cup. Bearing down on goal. And technically, he's quite poor. So that just went out the window. He missed it. And I think that was the end of his Rovers career. He actually never scored for Rovers. No, never. Never did, and then he and then he went along for the ticket, and Stevenage bought him for sixty grand. <laughs> sixty grand. You got a lot more things to do with that. Also, uh, banger Celtics crest. Yeah, sure looks familiar. Uh, Carl's Rahoop will be spitting mad when he sees it. He won't be happy at all with that. Uh, what else we got? Comical defending by Athlone. I heard Roddy had a few G's on minus five. Oh my god. I saw someone say that all that was missing was the Benny Hill music. Horrible stuff. Really was. Terrible, terrible defending. And uh, made probably made Cork look better than they are. I know, I know they're decent enough this season, but since Maguire's gone, they've been struggling. So, And we're going to move on to Pats B, you know. Two cups are out of. Relegation dogfight. Never relegated, eh? Might not be this season, but listen, it's a terrible season for Pats. Terrible. They are struggling. And um, that is a club I'd like to see go down and struggle for a few years. And I'm fair enough. We just talked about the league prospering and things like that. But I just not talking for Pats. Uh, go away, the cool kids in the block right now. They can't beat us. They let us drink, and they knock Pats out of the cup in Richmond. So yeah, fair play, Galway. Yeah. On on Soccer Republic, when they were showing the highlights of, of that game. They didn't show Ayunga's leg break. Yes. Um, I mean, they spent like five minutes each almost on a couple of penalty appeals. It's quite a poor tackle, wasn't it? And they didn't show someone's leg getting broken. Yeah, I don't. maybe they did it on purpose, you know. Maybe they didn't want to show it. But, um, yeah, no, so he was only kind of getting gone. and uh, That's a huge blow for them. Massive. I mean, they got rid of uh, Vinny Farty. They, they brought him yeah. in as a replacement. And now... No, they're not stuck. I mean, Ronan Murray's got goals in them, but they're stuck without an out and out striker now, you know? I actually saw Shane Keegan say that you'd almost take it back to, as in, you'd almost go out of the cup to keep a younger. That's how big it yeah, was. Yeah, take the result away and give him back a younger, yeah. It is, it's really bad for them. And in Galway's team news for that game, they had the following. Uh, Mark Ludden knee missed out as a result of Gary Shaw pushing him into the perimeter wall at Eamon DC Park on Friday night <laughs> that was in their press release good old Shaw is he king of the west it was an actual press release literally slaying Galwegians <laughs> it was in their press <laughs> Shaw is he milling people into the borders um, the draw for the quarterfinals was made on Monday and the only Dublin clubs left were drawn together and we got Bluebell Very interesting toy, Roy. Um, yeah, I mean, to say I was delighted with this would be an understatement. Mm, I mean, tough enough team. I mean, Bluebell could try and host. Yeah, really was good draw. I mean, Bluebell could try and host at the Red Cow. I think they might have to do a bit of work, but uh, if they move to Inchicore, they could 
they concede home advantage like they did against Cabotelli at Strabrook. I'm hearing they're pulling out all the stops they have it in Bluebell. I mean, you could say they're confident, confident enough going to Strabrook against Cabo and Tottenham. Listen, we could probably beat them out there, give up home advantage, and we could do them. I don't think it's the case with Rovers. I think they'd love to get us on that bumpy, bog-like pitch and uh, and try and do a job. Well, their manager, Andy Newland, actually said that whoever they were going to get in that draw, they were prepared to make the improvements necessary to host mm. the home tie, the Red Cow, so... Capacity would be a problem as well. I'm not sure if they'd be able to accommodate us. The likes of parking. I mean, you got the Red Cow. Would the Red Cow let them park there for the day that's in it? Could other, they, other could they that, hold the and Rovers fans? There you go. It's literally just off the M50. There's, the parking is pretty much non-existent pretty much non-existent it would be a tough place to host a game like this quarterfinal the FAI Cup so um, we're not sure if that will go ahead we'll keep you updated on it I'd be raging if that gets moved to a Saturday by yeah. the way because I'm going to a wedding that day yeah I'm missing I'm actually well I'm supposed to be missing the League Cup final against Dundalk so I'm going to have to get some sort of mannequin with strings attached <laughs> to it and the Homer glasses you <laughs> the Homer about. glasses yeah and uh, some sort of recording to keep me keep me uh, out of trouble I had uh, Andy McNulty, the former Bowles rat, was throwing barbs our way, boasting about the four 0 loss at Daily Mount. Did you see that? Yeah, I did see that. Cheeky pup. See, also he took one in the balls in that Kevin Healy game. No. Yeah. He took one in the balls. Yeah. Good. That, that's karma. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason he doesn't play League of Ireland anymore. So, I think there's also a reason they named the meal after him in Bluebell's new club restaurant. So, uh, yeah, loads of extra overs last there. Dean Lawrence played in the fourth division with us. Keith Fahey, uh, David Scully is not former overs, former League of Ireland. He's shy though. The prolific David Scully. <laughs> Scully Dino, Jordan Keegan from he former overs. He played in England. The Bocker, Dean Ebby, Shane Stritch, and Tony Griff. Two good strikers. Decorated Leicester Senior League strikers. So they'll have us on our toes. The Willow McDonough is there as well. Uh, <laughs> Roddy's love child. Oh, you love the nail red car, the Willow. Yeah, so I have a mole in the camp as well. So we'll keep that one yeah. close to our chest. Ah, super draw. Brad's are, I'll get Brad's on the phone there and let him know what the story is. That's a brilliant draw. I mean, I can't believe how much this cup has opened up for us. I know, big time, big time. And I think we'll take, it was it Limerick and Galway? We'll take the winner of that, please. Yeah. I mean, Cork and the Dock kept apart. So, it depends how you look at it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we'll take it. Once we get through Bluebell, I think it doesn't matter who we get anymore. We're going to have to put in performances either way, so... So we have Daryl Horgan who has made the Ireland squad no Sean McGuire we expected that I mean they just give him a little taste let him know the chances there if he performs he's got his move now He's done well for them I think he's mm. been man the match a couple of times at Preston A couple of goals and he'll be in that squad soon I reckon um, Tomorrow is the last day of the transfer window Will Mikey and Trevor still be here Carl? Well Bradley says they will I was thinking of maybe asking for the two of them at the media event on Thursday so they can knock them in the glimmer or sweet. Yeah, there so you go. So we know for a fact they're still Rovers yeah. players by the end of the day. I mean, there's a lot to get done, I think, paperwork and things like that. And I think we would have heard by now a couple of rumblings, you know, if they were going to leave. So unless a dramatic late deadline deal get, goes through, I think we're going to hold on to our young stars. Yeah, Clark was actually in the provisional under-21 squad. No, I didn't see that. Was he left out? Yeah, he didn't make the final squad, which Bradley said he was quite happy about. Because now he can play against Cork. Yeah, and we would have needed two or three players, wouldn't it, to postpone the game? Yeah. So, um, that's the transfer news. Anyway, we have Tom, our picture at the Dublin game. And uh, I don't think he knows about the war. Yeah, he should have been schooled. <laughs> but listen, he can go if he wants, but it, it might not go down too well. I mean, this led to a debate with Rowers and the GAA, and is it possible to keep following both? And I find that hard. I mean, I used to love GAA growing up. I love playing it. Um, 
wasn't crazy about the doors. I mean, you'd keep an eye on them or whatever. But uh, like somebody said before on the forum, was with my brother sleeping with my wife. You know, after hearing Ray Wilson speak so passionately on and off air about their actions and about how they treated Rovers, I say fuck them. That's the way I feel about it. I mean, I hear I hear there's Rovers fans who still drink in the Thomas Davis bar. Do you believe that? I find that very. The hard Thomas to believe, Davis no. bar. There's, is it possible for you to be an active Rovers fan, going to games? And going to Thomas Davis and putting money into their bar and drinking points and doing whatever. Why do I put put money even in socialising in it after what they did? If you really care about Rovers, I mean, have I got, am I going over the top here? I don't see how you can. No, I mean, we 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 know what they tried to do. They tried to kill off Shamrock Rovers. They wanted to drag us through the the bushes, the mud, the dirt, and drip us of every penny, and um. It, it was proven as well so I mean how could you drink in that bar after that it's like going for a point where the fellow tried to shoot you in the head the week before <laughs> it's like ah yeah listen don't don't worry about that yeah, be, shooting you in the head it's be grand like uh, be right it's crazy stuff I mean and this this is actually quite a good debate as well I mean there's there's, there's a lot of substance here so yeah I, I had never any interest in GAA myself so there was no real decision for me to make but didn't they want to build a 25,000 seater stadium at the spa well as well yeah I think they ran into a financial difficulty which is bollocks they have money coming out the wazoo I mean maybe maybe there was some sort of snag there but they definitely don't have to worry about costs they have a lot of money um, move on to news for our young hoops uh, Rovers under 19 drew an all at home to UCD Bulger doing O'Connor and Bone started Dylan was injured so he did not take part the hoops took the lead through Emmanuel Lawal in the 94th minute but uh, disaster struck when UCD's Sean McDonald equalised which what was the final kick of the ball drama drama and drama some ending to that game yeah. I know yeah and uh, our 19s are going to play Cork and Talla on Saturday at 2pm so definitely get on down to that if you are available should be a cracker of a match Two very good teams. The under-17s got back to win away with a 2-1 win over Bray Wanderers and a brace from Dean Williams. Dino is on fire! Yeah, I caught the first half of this because I was there at the interview on Rice and uh, Bazuna made two really good saves. Yeah, he's supposed to be top class. I was, Looks I was, good, yeah. I was impressed by him and uh, Bulu on the left-back. Bit of pace. Yeah, definitely. He crossed the ball for Williams' header for the first goal. And uh, Peter wasn't lying about his grandson, Jack. He sure likes to take he on the fullback. He likes to get at him, does he? He sure does. <laughs> That's great to see, though, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, what else have we got here? We have our way there. Yeah, so the 17s are away to Cork on Sunday at 2pm. So triple threat. Cork versus Rovers. We've got the 17s, the 19s, and the senior team. Mm-hmm. And we have Aaron Bulger, who is in the Ireland under-19 squad to face Czech Republic and well-deserved. He um, probably started as well. I mean, didn't he do really well in the, in the 17s? and mm. um, we have congrats to Andrew Spain on his call up to Ireland in the 17s for the game Macedonia this week Andy Captains are 17s and has been with the club since he's 14 uh, what else we have the 15s and well done to them they beat Bray Wonders by 3 goals to 2 on Saturday afternoon at Carrick Mines so Lukey and Duffer's boys uh, beat Bray 3-2 the goal scorers for Rovers were Roland Banya who got 2 and Luke Turner and next up for the 15s is St Kevin's boys at the Rollstone Sunday at 3pm this game's everywhere isn't it you get your fix no matter what who'd sit in the pub on a Sunday and no shortage of life watch well, I mean go go down that road you know uh, so we have a triple trick questions from the East End now we have uh, Simon Madden Dean Dillon Aaron Bulger and we went to Kickstarter Fitness in Brooker now we're back at 
questions from the East End with Simon Madden in Darren Dillon's Kickstarter Fitness. So we're going to start and Simon, name the last Rovers player to score a hat-trick. Last player, um, Danny North. Danny North, yeah, man. Versus Rotten. I was slim, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the Rovers under-17s player of the year last year? Would have to be uh, Aaron Bulger. No. Dean Dillon. Dean Dillon. Ah. Uh, what's another name for April Fool's Day? Another name for April Fool's Day. Uh, April the fourth. Yeah, fourth of April. All Fool's Day. Or April the 4th. How many litres of water in a gallon? Litres. Litres. This was particularly for you, considering your antics on the aeroplane. Many <laughs> <laughs> went into your owner. <laughs> uh, I go... 12. No, roughly 4. You knew that one, P, go to do? Spell the word flatulence. F L A T U L E N C E. Yeah, that's it, that'll do. Uh, how many games have you played consecutively before you missed the Galway game? Toy Groin, yeah? Yeah. And name three movies with the word wedding in it. Wedding singer. Wedding Crashers. Cheeky question, isn't it? And <laughs> <laughs> Sounds easy, I don't know it is. Wedding Crashers. The Wedding Ringer. Wedding Ringer, yeah, that'll do. And who composed the 1966 hit I'm a Believer by the Monkees? You heard you're a fan. So. Uh, I'm a Believer, the Monkees. I give you the point if you sing it. Neil Diamond. Ah, oh, bollocks! <laughs> As a player, Brian Kerr won his only major league medal with which Leinster Senior League club? This is a trick question. No. Bluebell? Yeah, Bluebell's right. FAO Intermediate Cup. And true or false, all of these Irish internationals were right backs. Joe Kinnear, Paddy Mulligan, or Dave Langan? Were they all right backs, or were they not? True. Yep. True. So it's better than your previous anyway. So we've won. Joe Canary, it's tired of it, isn't he? Three, four, five. Five out of ten for Simon. That's not bad. Five wrong. Right, now we have Aaron Bulger up next for questions from the East End. And Aaron, who are the four semi finalists of the Under 17 World Championships? Spain, England, Germany, and Turkey. Yeah, that's it. What's the capital of Croatia? Helsinki. No. <laughs> Which player wore the number 10 jersey before Luka Modric at Real Madrid? Uh, Rodriguez. Yeah, James Rodriguez. 
What is Ghost's real name, the TV series Power? I'm already happy. Uh, oh. <laughs> I just watched it yesterday. Oh, I forget. Come back to it. James St. Patrick. Oh, Spelled diminutive. Diminutive? Jamie, anyway. D O M U N T O V. No. <laughs> Who was the Rovers' top scorer in the Tala era? Since we moved to Tala. Gary Twig. Yeah. Gary Twig. Um, name three Mark Wahlberg movies. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> and who has more caps, international caps, Luka Modric or Arturo Vidal? Modric. Modric, yeah, he has 97 caps with 11 goals. Vidal has 95 caps with 23 goals. What is the Irish for goal? Cool. See you for the L. And what year did Shamrock Rovers get promoted to the Premier Division after a season in the Fourth Division? 1997. 2006. So we have one, two, three, three. Aaron, cheers. Cheers. How many did you get, Bulger? Three. I'll keep you along, right? You're being, you're being seen as the dark horse, yeah, so. <laughs> what is the name of Cameron King's previous club? Norwich. Oh, do you know what? It's Tetford Town, but... Oh, the non-league, eh? Yeah. Oh, bollocks. Uh, which two teams in the Premier League and Championship still have a 100% record? Uh, United. Yeah. And Leeds. Cardiff. How many goals did Wayne Rooney score for England? Uh, hundred, nah. 87? 53. Who killed a dragon in Game of Thrones? There's spoilers here, so... Don't watch, watch it. I don't watch it, no. I was thinking of starting it. The Night ah. King. Uh, what's the Irish word for feast? Feaster. Fish. Uh, the perimeter of a circle is also known as what? Another word for perimeter of a circle. Height. The circumference. <laughs> um, what car does Simon Madden drive? Oh, I don't even know. Now, according to our sources, it's a 1994 Nissan Micra. <laughs> I'm not sure, he might be taking the piss. What's the capital of Sweden? Helsinki. Stockholm. Everybody's <laughs> obsessed with Helsinki. And what's the name of Bluebells ground their opponents in the FAI Cup? Uh, I'm only five minutes away from it. Uh, Bluebell Club or something? Capco Park. Yes. And who has more Ireland caps, McPhail or Fahey? Uh, McPhail. McPhail has 10, Fahey has 16. Oh. So you have uh, a half a point. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Dan. Uh, Thanks. Nice one. <laughs> yes, that was Simon, Dean, and Aaron. Uh, Helsinki's popular this time of year, Carl. <laughs> That's the capital of everywhere, apparently. Dean with a solid half a point. 
Yeah, Madden got six, by the way, not five. Six, yep. We, yeah, we'll, that was uh, a mistake. That was, but you know what? He was, he was peering over at the answers. He was cheating anyway, so... Oh, was he? Yeah, well, I'm going to have to keep an eye on that. So, Dean, you got fewer points than someone who taught Czechoslovakia and Slovakia split into the country of Prague. Yes. You need to take a good, hard look <laughs> at yourself, pal. <laughs> Come on, Dean. Brush up on the homework. Uh, Dune is practising, apparently. Is he? Yeah, so he said he can't wait to get going. He says, let me know a week beforehand so I can do a bit of practice. <laughs> yeah, needless to say, I wrote those questions for Madden. Oh, he, we had to hit him. He tells you they were very cheeky. We had to hit him. Yeah, definitely. Definitely had to hit him hard there. Right, so that was uh, questions from the East End for this week. And now we're going to come up with the best stats ever. Stats which Peter Fitzpatrick says are amazing. Yes, amazing. So we're going to move on. And we have against Shelbourne, Brandon Mealy scored his first goal since Bray in May. So he's a bit of a goal drought there for Brando. It was the 17th consecutive tie that Rovers have won over first division clubs since 2010. Won on penalties against Shells in last year's League Cup. And Ronan Finn was the 7th red card received by Rovers in all competitions this season. And the 4th for receiving two yellow cards. So uh, we're still top of the bad boys list. Rovers have gone five games unbeaten against Shelbourne for the first time since 1989. It was the Hoops' biggest away win over Shell since 1994, winning 3-0 at uh, home, inverted commas, at Talca Park twice in 2001. James Dunn scored his fifth goal for Rovers, all as a substitute. Gary Shaw and Graham Burke are Rovers' top scorers in all competitions with 10 each. Shaw scored 7 last season. Cork pair Gary Buckley and Carl Shepard are the only League of Ireland players to score in 5 different competitions this season. Uh, we have Mikey O'Connor and Shane Griffin have made the most sub-appearances in the Premier Division this season, 16 each. No player has been taken off more times than Griffin's City teammate Stephen Dooley. After have to watch out for Dooley on Friday. Yeah, he just plays well against us. He's, he's, a, he's a doubt. That's the only thing. He's a doubt. He? They're assessing him. Uh, Shamrock Rovers haven't beaten league leaders since Sligo on the last day of 2012 when that famous Gary Twig brace and we interrupted their party celebrations with that magical physics defying goal hit back off the crossbar and somehow poked in a volley unbelievable stuff inexplicable goal yes and Rovers have won just one of their 11 league encounters with John Caulfield 3-0 at in August 2015 and it was Cork's only away league defeat that season and we have Rovers who have won five games in a row for the first time since a run of six in September 2013. The last time the Hoops won six unbeaten was in October 2015. And we have gone 15 games without a draw. So no more crawly ball. No. Which has happened twice before in the Tala era. 16 consecutive games will be the longest run since September 86. Uh, Rovers, Cork and St. Pat's are the only teams to, that haven't drawn nil all this season. Although the Saints did in the League Cup. Yeah, that's good stuff. Didn't they draw nil all? Mm-hmm. so last month uh, Rovers lost three consecutive games at Tala for the first time ever and they have never lost three straight league games here so Cork haven't lost a league game away from home this year winning 12 and drawn in Galway but that's about to change really we have Cork, go- Cork goalkeeper Mark Rafface Rapoy McNulty has played 142 consecutive league games their only other ever present this season is Carl Shepard many weddings do you think McNulty has missed oh I don't know Touchy subject. Touchy subject. Um, Trevor Clark and Gary Shaw are set to make their 50th league appearances for hours. And Simon Madden will make his 150th in the league. Just not uh, consecutively. No. <laughs> uh, Shaw is the first player to score five goals against one club in a season since Gary Twig against Dundalk in 2012 when we used to hop off them for fun. 
Six of his 15 league goals for Rovers have come against Galway. Galway was the first time that Rovers won a game that they were losing at half-time since the 5-3 win over Drada and Tallaght on the final day of 2015. That was the Danny North hat-trick that was in the, the quiz earlier. Yeah, Danny North. Uh, Slim Jim. Yep. Paid in scampy fries. Oh no, he doesn't like scampy fries. <laughs> if Cork win and the dog fail to beat St. Pat's on Friday, Cork will win the league. Bowles won the Premier Division with most games to spare four in 2008. So we have Dundalk who won the 2015 league title in Tala. The four previous times that a team could seal it against Rovers. The Champagne was kept on ice. Strata won 2-0 at Talca Park in 2007. Other results didn't go their way. Derry drew one all and lost 1-0 against the Hoops at the Brandywell in 97 and 1989 respectively while at Long were denied in 1981. Yeah, so we've spoiled the party a few times over the years. Yeah, hopefully we continue to do that. And this is Dundalk's, uh, and this is the second Rovers game televised by RT this season, which I'm not a fan of. Hate when RT or do this to our games. After the first one, I hold the balls. Dundalk on opening day, balls and Sarenan in July and Derry in August were shown by Airsport. I hate when RT show our games. It's gonna cut the attendance right in fucking half. I mean, especially Corks. They they should really be showing up tonight. They should have an eight hundred to a thousand. They can win the league. It really shouldn't affect Corks attendance because if I was a Cork fan, God forbid, I would definitely come to this game. Win the league here. We know they're not going to show up in numbers because it's on the telly. I mean, let's be honest. If this was us, we're talking two thousand people traveling. If we're going to win the league in a different in a different ground, look at Bray, look at UCD. I know they were in Dublin, but I mean, a couple of hours didn't, has never stopped us before. So I think that was the record attendance the Carlisle grounds. We won the league that night. Uh, it had to have been crazy scenes. Paflin's blood everywhere. <laughs> So that was the stats again, mind-blowing stuff. And uh, don't forget, if you have any queries about stats, you can always get us on Twitter, Facebook, and just tales from the East End at gmail.com as well. So even just Google us, tales from the East End, we're the only one. So you can get us on any of those platforms. Yeah, a bit of feedback from last week. Uh, I was told by someone that I sounded very chipper last week. Yeah, I think it was all the coke and hookers the night before. Yeah, that must be it. <laughs> Also, there was a message on Twitter from Ian. He says, Loving the show, lads. I was an escort down on the Rose of Tralee. Spreading the Rovers message. Big shout out to George Donoghue, a big Rovers fan. A San Fran Rose's father, who still checks the results on a Friday. Oh, lovely. So he's he's based in San Fran, or? Must be, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, big shout out to Ian, down in, uh, in Kerry, running the muck with all the Roses. It's funny we mentioned the Rose of Tralee. Nice week show, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a fair play to me. Just thought it was apps to get in touch. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So we're going to move on next to starting 11 and predictions. Yeah, so I'm going to go first. Uh, we're going to go with Tomer, Lukey, Pico, Grace and Madden. Kind of unlucky with Webby because he, he played well uh, and he got an assist against Galway mm. and he played well against Shells. So unlucky for him. Uh, I'm going to go with McAllister and Finner centre mid with Brando and Trev out wide and Borky and Daddy Cool Shaw up top now actually I'll tell you what I might switch that around again I might put Duna in somewhere I think he deserves a start but in saying that got the goal against Cork is he going to be able to the physical aspect of it no I'll stick with the same I'll leave him on the bench I'll leave him on the bench I don't think it's the right time for him so I'm going to go with a 2-1 win and uh, Borky to silence the Rebels. Well, my team is basically what you were pondering there and that's 
Duna comes in for Connolly and Trevor Clark stays at left back uh, for a prediction I'm going to say a 1-0 win with Brando getting the goal Brando getting the goal going on a hot streak see Duna I mean it depends on how these are going to come as Cork normally they, they tend to kind of sit back and try to hit us on the break they never really go and, and try to take the game with a, with a scruff when they play us in, in Tala so they're going to probably kind of sit back Hopefully we, we we get forward and they're going to run hits on the break. So I think maybe Duna could fall into the super sub category and it's it's going to be his downfall. But he's do, he does well when he comes off or comes on and enters the game. So we might need that later on during the game. So I think that's that's what I'm, I'm thinking about doing. I'm going to bring him on and, and make a bit of an impact against some tired fullbacks. What do you think? What do you think their approach is going to be? I think that's going to be it. Yeah, I think they're going to try and hit us in the break, and they're going to be really cautious and just say, "Listen, lads, we we can win the league tonight. If other results go our way, let's just sit back, be patient, and they'll try and hit us." But I think uh, it works. A grace centre half and Pico smashing centre half pair, and I think they'll struggle against us. It worked for them earlier in the season, but they got that fortunate goal. Remember mm. Maguire, Tomer, kind of yeah, yeah, lost very much so, the ball. Yeah. And I think uh, Grace is going to have Shepherd in his pocket. The only do. I have is maybe Dooley who will be yeah every time he's on the ball I'm worried that's the thing he's he's very good but he's struggling so then again I mean they've no Maguire and Dooley is struggling and we always called him a one man team and Dooley was their other threat so I mean they're there for the taking let's be honest mm-hmm. they're not that good of a team when they don't have those players in so we'll, uh, we'll move on to uh, we're going to send out our condolences to the family and friends of ex-player Paddy Henderson who sadly passed away last weekend Paddy signed for the Hoops in 1961 from Welsh club Hollyhead Town he uh, kept goal for us during the 1962 FAI Cup final against Shelbourne which Rovers won 4-1 and his son Dave also played in goal for the Hoops during two different spells firstly under John Giles and then in the RDS era and uh like in my job there's a couple of hoops and Anto Matthews in particular will have chats most, most nights about all things Rovers and he said Paddy Henderson was his coach at Stella I think under 17s and he said he was an absolute gent oh, just loved the game and had a lot of time for football so it's a massive football and family and Paddy yeah he's created such a goalkeeper dynasty there I mean his other sons Wayne and Stephen were goalkeepers as well Stephen of course is manager of Cove Ramblers now and Stephen's son also Stephen He's a goalkeeper in Nottingham Forest. So. Yeah, he's a Ireland international as well, isn't he? Yeah, so our condolences out to the Henderson family. And uh, our kickoff for the court game is 7.45. It was half seven, but it's been moved back. Um, and we also have a very special guest in the 1899 suite on Friday. It is the managerial wardsmith himself, former Rovers and court boss, Damien Richardson. Yeah, get the thesaurus out. Get the thesaurus out. I mean... I, I, this had to be moved so that we can just listen to the wonderfully eccentric ramblings of this man. Kickoff is probably going to be 7.55. Yeah, this guy, give him an extra 10 minutes. I'll give him an extra 10 minutes. Yeah, hashtag is always the same sometimes. <laughs> it's always the same sometimes. Yeah. His programme notes are epic. Unbelievable. I mean, to give you an example of his programme notes, this is a game at home to UCD in December 1999 that ended up being postponed and played in January 2000 and Here's the Rovers manager to say ahead of the game and it was titled No Room at the End. They had no option but to make the journey. The difficulties that lay ahead were clear and unambiguous and the hearts were heavy as they left their home and headed off into the unknown. At the start they were accompanied by many of similar intention 
but gradually they became separated, and after a while, they were on their own. They stopped at many places en route, and while some people were kind and understanding, others seemed to take a reverse pleasure in their discomfort. Many times they became doubtful and even disillusioned, but their resolve never wavered, because they realised that ultimately what they carried with them would mean so much to so many. And yet all the difficulties encountered on the way could hardly prepare them for the final obstacle. Having arrived at their destination, the biggest hurdle had to be overcome. Frustration, panic and fear were the emotions manifested, before they were allowed to settle and await the arrival of the one who would bring the message of hope and happiness that would eventually spread across the land. It's so cool. <laughs> the Christmas story of a journey filled with frustration and yet ending with great joy is symbolic to all Shamrock Rovers fans. It analogies the nomadic years that almost ripped this great club apart, and were it not for their inherent belief among the faithful that the hoops are the lifeblood of domestic soccer, then perhaps the story would have had a dismal ending. The journey that all men make is one encompassing trials and tribulations, enchantment and hopefully fulfilment. <laughs> the secret of success in life is not to get so immersed in the journey that the destination remains an obscure point in the horizon. To retain control of one's destiny, one should never lose sight of the fact that within each and every one of us there exists a potential to make a difference. This begets the responsibility on each individual to realise this potential and ensure that upon our collective arrival, at the point of destination, the appropriate difference is abundantly clear to all. Sport is, in many respects, the perfect vehicle to demonstrate our ability to accept responsibility. Soccer in particular, as the world game demonstrates lucidly, the beneficial effect talent, integrity and belief offer to the world. So remember the illustration that the most famous journey ever presents for your perusal. And when you discuss, as I know you will, the sociological impact of the story of Christmas on modern civilization. Explain to the devotees of the Hearns and the Swiss College <laughs> how it has transmogrified the future of Shamrock Rovers. Sure, what else would you talk about at Christmas? Have a great one, and welcome in the new beginning with confidence. Nuts! Absolutely brilliant. I'm just looking at I'm just looking at some other ones here, and you actually they're they're so they're so good. Like he's he's talking about um, last weekend's trip to Derry, and nothing to do with the game, mind you. Like, he had nothing to do with the game last weekend's trip to Derry with Shamrock Rovers provided conclusive proof of the paradoxical aspect of my intrinsic personality <laughs> like, t- uh, like what else he comes up with um, I always anticipate with almost childish relish the opportunity to traverse rural Ireland uh, Saturday was a day stolen from summer he's so quotable uh the the Irish countryside uh, was at its most resplendent in the elevated comfort of his team bus. My senses reveled at the scenes of pastoral perfection. <laughs> Listen to this guy. you got to love him. See, he's a uh, director of coaching at Carrigaline FC now. Yeah, he, I mean, he must be based in Cork now, if that's the case. I thought he was based in the UK, but... Yeah, I mean, that, that'd be... Uh, I mean, if you're a... a what you say, was a director of football, that's a, quite a hands-on yeah. job. You have to organise all the schoolboys, so... And in everything in general, so other um, their their top team as well. So uh, I think that would be a hands-on job. Don't think you could do that from s- sitting over in England. But I'm trying to find some other go- good ones here. I mean, okay, he's he's talking nothing about football. So he says field after field of charming rustic elegance, rolling back into the hills of such mesmeric beauty that words, no matter how well I attempt to phrase them, fail dismally, dismally to convey the grandeur supplied in such abundance. 
We live in a visually pleasant land with dark, mysterious rivers flowing in unbridled passion through terrain, guarded majestically by imposing mountains, dropping into valleys offering such reflective serenity that one would willingly dally forever in the timeless beauty. I feel like climbing a mountain and just be inspired and just spin around doing 360s and just embrace the world. That's how I feel reading these things, man. He's brilliant. You had to be taking the piss. He's definitely not, man. That's epic stuff. Epic stuff. Yeah, so hopefully we get a couple of words out of, out of Rico. I mean, he's so quotable. And hopefully we get the three points against Cork. I'm sure he will. As long as it's not a capricious wind blowing, the result should be splendiferous. <laughs> capricious wind blowing, splendiferous results. What yeah. a man. What a man. So you, we were going to end the show, but we have... Uh, I was given... I was chased around the job last night by Anto Matthews and he, he, he told me about this. He, he gave me a printout of Caulfield venting his fury at Rovers. And I was shocked at this article, Carl. Have you heard the shy he came out with? I've actually not read this, so, so tell me. Right. Now, he came out and he said, um, the title of the article is Caulfield vents fury at Rovers. So we're going to go to his most quotable uh, parts of it. So hold on, just give me a second. We have Bennett was accused of stamping on Webster. So we're talking about the previous game and feigning injury. And I mean, Stephen Bradley called Coffee's comments disgraceful. So he came out and he said, ultimately, at the end of the day, there's been a lot of gamesmanship going on. So what's he mean by that, Carl? I think he, he's, he's just being a little wimp and he won't come out and say what he really means, which is something I hate. And he was sent to the stands, we know that. He says, looking at the last match, you know, obviously the likes of Webster, there's hard men in the league of football. So he's pretty much saying, there's hard men and then there's there's Webster. <laughs> and he says, I always like, I always say guys like Alan Bennett, Brian Garland, the late Ryan McBride, guys who just get on with it and play the game. But you know, there's a few lads out there who pretend to be hard and when someone runs into them, they hit the deck. So he's talking about our players. And we have to be prepared for gamesmanship. And from that point of view, we need our discipline because we got caught the last day with Alan getting sent off. And we have to make sure it doesn't happen again. So we got caught as if we're playing games, as if Webster didn't have stub marks on his chest and got elbowed, as well as being stamped on. So this fella is just, his mind games are, are terrible. I mean, he's no Kenny Shields. And we'll go, all the shouting has come from the other corner. Said Caulfield, as I keep saying, any person in charge of any team or any manager, your time will come and other people will decide your fate with your results and after a period of time. There's no doubt about there's no doubt about it. There's a lot a lot of shouting coming at myself and the club. We're in a great position, we've done fantastically well over a few years and we've come from nowhere. And we're gonna hold our heads and not get involved. So by saying that, he's saying they're not getting involved, but by him coming out with this statement, he just got himself involved. Am I right? Well, he's saying all the shouting is coming from our corner. So we're doing all the shouting, and he's saying, yeah, listen, we won't get involved, but if, you just did get involved by going publicly in the paper. If by shouting he means innocuous comments by the manager and players, which they have then played up as much as possible in a cringy manner, then yeah, we have been shouting. I See, oh, look, you know I don't like this guy, Carl, you don't either. I mean, we expect, here, we've another one, we expect them to be very physical. And we expect gamesmanship. See, that's that's very that's a very sly way of saying something else. I'm what are you really trying to say, John? I'm looking forward to Bradley's reply to that. Now. We expect gamesmanship. gamesmanship, and so we have to be very cute and make sure we concentrate on our own game, and that's and what's on the pitch, and that's what we'll do, and that's what we've done all season. 
So it goes on to say Stephen Zuli is um, he's been missing since the EA Sports Cup lost the Rovers since August seventh. So they're assessing him at the moment. Uh, Greg Bulger has a bit of a knock. Robbie Williams has a bit of a knock, and Alan Bennett is grand. So so he's not saying that he's going to field the kids again and then start the. I wouldn't full believe a team. word out of his dirty rebel mouth. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's I, I have no time at all, and I'm going to go McGregor on this. I'm going to go. Do you know what, John? Give me a call. And we'll have a knock. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's how I feel about this well, fella. Well, careful now. Pat Flynn ranked the number two. Yeah, yeah, I reckon he has something in him. I give him a knock, no problem. Tala Car Park will form a ring, a, a circle of steel around us. No way out. Fight to the death. <laughs> yeah. So that's um, that's pretty much all the comments. But he's trying to go down the. Is what's he trying to provoke from us? Is he trying to provoke a performance from our team, as in a, a gung ho? physical performance from our team or is he trying to go a long way around and hope that we just remain calm and, and play our game I don't think he's that smart of a person to go down the Kenny Shields role of of mind games and, and trying to trick teams into coming at you in a different way he hasn't got that mental capability to do that well we've been accused of that this season we've been accused of riling up our opponents so is this not what basically what we've been accused of doing yeah um, listen We'll, we'll see what happens for you, but I honestly don't think he's that intelligent, so I'd say somebody probably wrote those quotes from beforehand, you know. Okay, so that's it for this week. It's the end of the show, and um, we'll take our sponsors, Peachtree's, for all the delicious food, as usual, and uh, it's that time once again, so it's nearly match day. The Cork Heathens travel to the capital and try and plunder three points again, but the hooped faithful on Brazzers boys will be there to stop them. So let's show up in numbers and bring the noise. So see you in the East End and keep on hooping, folks. See you. Talking, baby, make my hair turn white. You talk too much. 